Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We are also proud members of the Biblical and Reformed Network. Today is episode 26. Join us as we discuss feminism and the church. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media and also share us with your friends through word of mouth. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all the other ways that you can support us and connect with us. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. And the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Well, hello and welcome. I'm Andrew. And I'm Matt. And this is the Locust and Honey Podcast. And we have got a good one in store today. This is true. Yes. We're talking about feminism and the church. There's a lot lot loaded up into that one. So um, it'll be a, a humdinger, as they say. Who is they? You. I say humdinger? You said it once. Wow. And I remember it. It was like five years ago. And I was like, that was like the first time I'd ever heard that word. And I was like, wow, that's a word right there. Well, you can't play baseball your whole life and never heard humdinger. Not well, I, you've never, it happened. You've never hit a humdinger? Never hit, I've heard of dinger, not a humdinger. Dinger that hums. A humdinger is, yeah, it's a big hit. Yeah. Well, anyway, before we get into all of that, um, Matt, do you have any affirmations or denials? A humdinger is a remarkable or outstanding person or thing of its kind. Well, this would be a humdinger. This episode will be a humdinger. This episode is going to be a humdinger. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that would qualify. What was your question to me? My question to you was, do you have any affirmations or desires or desires or denials to share with us? I have a desire to affirm and deny something. Good, good. That that covers all the bases. Awesome. Yeah. So um, my affirmation today is, it's related to what we have been saying we're going to talk about today. Okay. I want to affirm a documentary called Eve in Exile. It's on the Canon Plus app. If you are not a member of the Canon Plus family, I would recommend that you do so. And... The documentary, Even Exile, is a great documentary for men and women both to watch and think about and discuss. So that would be my affirmation um, to check that out. There's also a book that was written several years back, uh, 2017-18-ish, somewhere in there. Even Exile, same name. So I would recommend and affirm that book as well as the documentary. Yeah. Uh, My denial today, I am going to deny kind of similar to yours last week. I'm going to deny inconsistency in thought. People that are inconsistent with what they believe. So whether that is abortion Um, which we kind of talked about, but there's a bunch of other areas that that applies today. Truth has become relative. And when people are saying that, whether it's with shots or it's with uh, abortion rights or it's with who can play what sports or it's with 
the feminist movement and um, you've got people that are fighting for women's rights and then you've got other people that are fighting for trans women's rights and they're at war amongst themselves. There's just a lot of inconsistency today in our culture and I deny all of it. Mm. And I think the fix to all of it is being firmly rooted on the solid rock, which is the word of Christ. And God's word to us is true. It is consistent. It is just. It is holy. It is good. It is the bread of life. It is the river of living water. It is the power of God into salvation. It is all of these things. And Christians today need to be very familiar with God's word. It is the sword of the spirit. Um, and, and so if we want to be consistent in our ideas, consistent in our thoughts, consistent in our actions, we need to be people who study the word. So yeah. that is my affirmation and denial. What about you? You got one? Yeah. Um, my affirmation and my denial, I guess, will be a little bit less... Uh, Deep than oh, yours wah, wah. or than mine last week. Well, my denial is kind of deep, but my affirmation is the way that our Atlanta Braves are playing right now. They're on a roll. They are on a roll. Yeah. Um, they have won 14 straight games, and by the time that we air this, they probably will not be on the same winning streak because that's how baseball works. If they are, they'll have set a record and blown the record for winning streaks out of the water, which would be cool, but probably not going to happen. But right now, they are on a 14-game winning streak, and we're going to relish that while we can. True. So, there's my affirmation. Now, my denial is um, the way that the current <laughs> regime in America is thinking through economic policy. All right. I think there's a lot of people that would deny that. But... Um, you don't like paying $5 per gallon of gas? I do not like paying $5 per We are basically living in the late 70s, economically speaking, because you've got inflation, you've got gas prices that are high because of an oil shortage that we caused. We have got... Uh, there's just a mess going on. And here's the thing that, that I'm denying out of all of that. Now, I will deny that because I feel like we have solely got us into this mess, our, ourselves into our, this mess that we're in. I mean, when COVID came out and we had all these, um, you know, subsidies and things like that that were going out for to people who couldn't go to work because of COVID, at first it was necessary, right? Because everybody was just sidelined, you know? Um but then at some point in time, it became clear that people really could be getting back out to work. Right. Um, and people were starting to get back out to work, but because of the hardheadedness of some of the governors of the states, uh, there wasn't, you know, there were states where people it were still, they couldn't go back out to work for whatever reason. So they continued to pump money into the economy and just constant, constant, constant billions and trillions of dollars into the economy that did not belong there. And so yeah. as a result, we have this inflationary spiral going on. Um, I'll deny that, but what's confusing right now is that the solution to all of these problems are things like canceling student loan debt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what does that do? Well, that continues to pump money into the economy that shouldn't be there because you're canceling yeah, repayments that need to be made. I mean, it's well, and not only that, but I mean? it's it's also not teaching those kids right that they have to pay back what they've taken a loan out on. Right, and even more so than that, what do you do with all of the people that have a hundred thousand dollar student loan debts that they've been paying on for 10, 15 years? Right, you know, or you've got people that worked hard to pay off their student loan debts and it took them 20 years to do so. Right. Um, there's no fairness or just, right. justness in that. Because here's the problem. At some point, you know, you, you at some point, 
these kids are going to end up getting a quote unquote free education because they're not actually having to pay for the education that they got, right? right? They took out a loan and someone else is paying off the loan. Well, what what about the kid who's, or what about the family whose parents sacrificed to save up money to send their kid off to school to just cash flow it? Well, you know what I mean? Where's the justice? Now, I think they they should not be able to um, procure a loan like that. Right. Um, But once... If they have that ability, which they shouldn't have in the first oh, place, yeah. that's a whole different discussion. Right. But once they do have that ability and they sign saying that I will pay this back, then they need to pay it back. Right. We've got a senator um, in Georgia that is running right now <laughs> with a, a, a the reverend. <laughs> yeah. And he's saying, um, yeah. I don't think it's fair that debt should keep you from pursuing your dreams. Right. Well, at what cost? Right. That doesn't make sense. You're you're trying to buy votes. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody's paying for your right. dreams. Nothing is free. Right. Nothing so is free. So my kids are going to be paying yeah. for your dreams. And maybe you don't have the, the right dreams. dream in the first place. <laughs> and right. my kids are paying for that. Right. Um, or I'm paying for that. I just don't see how it's beneficial for us to be doing that. Yeah. So. I deny. Firm denial. I affirm your denial. Good. All right. (laughs) Let's jump into our episode today. Feminism and the church today. What I want to do is, I, I think that we could have several episodes on this, but for the sake of today's episode, I want to specifically look at first wave feminism. Because most people in the church today would look at new feminism and fourth wave, what it is today, and they would reject that. Um, You even got within feminism, like we talked about, you've got the, the lesbian community who's been fighting for feminism. Uh, at war with the transgender community who's trying to also pick up a mantle of feminism and they have been butting heads, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Most people today would deny what feminism has become, which is um, the whole push for abortion and what it is today is a byproduct of that. Um, You've got the LGBTQ plus movement, which is attached to feminism. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. But when you talk about people like Susan B. Anthony, a lot of people would look back to that fondly. I think she's on a coin. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and so they would affirm Susan B. Anthony, they would affirm first wave feminism, but then they would say that it's gotten off the rails. And the argument that I want to make today is that the feminism that we have today, the LGBTQ plus movement that we have today, and really all of the critical theories that we have today would not be here without first wave feminism. Mm. And so let's kind of dive into it. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts as we prepare to jump? No, I, right. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. It'll be a good discussion. All right. Well, so um, when we're talking about feminism, let's go back to the beginning. And really, um, there are some pre-feminist people, but when you look at first wave feminism, there's a lot of names that jump out. But the the primary two and the one who's kind of the face of first wave feminism is, as we've already mentioned, Susan B. Anthony. Uh, and then right by her is Elizabeth Stanton. And those two are kind of the uh, the driving force behind first wave feminism. Now, they did not see women gain the right to vote in their lifetime. Um, but shortly after their death, women did get that right. Um, but so Susan B. Anthony, her two primary platforms was woman suffrage and prohibition. Um, she early on was kind of a part of the, the abolitionist movement. Um, but then her two primary things that she really fought for and spent most of her life fighting for was woman suffrage and prohibition. 
Um, Elizabeth Stanton, she wrote the book Solitude of Self, and Elizabeth Stanton said that she was the one that was forming the lightning, and Susan, Susan B. Anthony was the one throwing the thunderbolts. Um, Elizabeth Stanton was a mother of seven kids, and she, even in her wedding vows, she did not say that she would be submissive to her husband. She took that part out. She saw um, her role as a wife as something that needed to be overcome, and she was, um, but she was the one that was giving Susan B. Anthony the words that she was saying. And Susan B. Anthony, who was a single woman, was the one that was traveling around and kind of became the face of this feminist movement. Um, so when people look at Susan B. Anthony, they're like, woman's suffrage, woman's right to vote, that's a good thing. Um, prohibition, getting all these drunk guys to quit beating their kids and their wives, and um, let's just rid them of the opportunity to drink alcohol and we're going to have a better society. Um, something we, we kind of talked about, um, even exile, something from the book that they talked about was, uh, Rebecca Merkel. Something that she said is just because we agree on some social problems does not mean we agree on the whys and the hows. And she gives the example of, uh, if we're both going to London and you go in the, I don't know, um, like the luggage rack of a, of a ship, mm -hmm. um, or you go on, on some crappy barge. Can we say crappy on our podcast? Um, yeah, I'm sure. We've sure. said it twice now, yeah. but you go on this barge and then I, I fly first class on an airline, on airline. Um, we're both getting to the same, we both desire to get to the same destination, but the experience of getting there is going to be far different for each. Um, and so I don't know, it's kind of a good example, but the, the premise I agree with just because we agree on some social problems does not mean that we agree on the whys and the hows. So for us as Christians, we can affirm that God hates when drunk fathers come home and beat their families. Um, we can affirm that and we can also affirm that women have value and worth. So just like Susan B. Anthony, we would affirm both of those things. Uh, Susan B. Anthony though, I believe she grew up in a, a Quaker family, but she ended up becoming agnostic and, um, us as Christians, we can affirm these things because of God's word. So God hates when fathers come home and beat their families. Yes and amen. Mm -hmm. uh, God has given a standard to the father. He has given a standard to the husband. He has not only given them a standard for being a husband and a father, but he's also spoken against drunkenness. And so when a father is beating his children or his wife, there are several things that have gone wrong. And he is in sin in several areas. And when he stands before the Lord, he will be judged for that. Um, so we can go to said father and, um, and, and there are several things that we have to say to him. Um, we can call the police. We can intercede. We can do all of these things from a biblical standpoint because we would say that the, the wife has an inherent worth and dignity and value. We would say that the children have an inherent worth and dignity and value. We would say that alcohol at that level is in sin and he mm -hmm. has no business consuming that. Um, and so the church can speak to that. Women have value and worth. We just covered that. Women are valuable. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. And so what Paul is saying there is women are the glory of the glory of God. Uh, they are the crown on the head of God's glory. And, um, and so women have worth, women have value, women have dignity. Women are created by God just as men are created by God. Both are equal in God's sight. Both have different roles and distinct 
um, things that they were created for, but both are equal, right? Um, and so we would affirm all those things. The, the problem is anybody outside of the Christian worldview does not have an answer for that. So when we get to abortion, when we get to all of these different things, they don't have an answer for why does this person have inherent worth and value. Um, apart from the creator making it so and creating them, there, there's not an answer for that. Um, so um, where does scripture disagree with first wave feminism? I'll kind of make my case and then we can kind of Go mm-hmm. back and forth on it. So, where does scripture, uh, where did the, where does scripture disagree with first wave feminism? So, what we have going on is the woman became their own advocate. Uh, they became self serving and self exalting. They ignored the fact that Christ will bring justice and that God's gift to the family was for the husband to love, lead, and protect. Um, it also eliminates the responsibility of the God-given authority and places it elsewhere. And my argument is kind of twofold. It, it, it replaces it uh, in two different places. But on that so far, what are your thoughts on this? So um, what Susan B. Anthony is doing is she's looking around and she's seeing there's a lot of guys that are getting super drunk and they're coming home and they're beating their wives. And so what we want to do is we want to... Uh, be able to determine how our husbands vote. And we also want to be able to determine um, what our husbands can do. Um, They, I I don't want to say they played the victim because a lot of these women were victims. Mm -hmm. And I want to start off too by saying that the need for the feminist movement in the first place was a lack of male biblical leadership right men were not being biblical men which made women have to take up uh certain mantles and and that first and foremost 100 percent falls on the male you read out of genesis 3 and eve's eating of the fruit was not so eve ate of the fruit but the one that was responsible the one that god came to was adam because Adam was not protecting Eve and Mm -hmm. Adam was not being the leader that God had called him and created him to be in allowing Eve to be deceived. And so, uh, first and foremost, I like, I'm not saying that this was Susan B. Anthony's fault or Elizabeth Stanton's fault or other women's fault. I'm saying that the responsibility falls on the church and ultimately on the male leadership in the church. Uh, it, it falls on the fathers and the male leadership in their homes. We had a lot of men that were not being biblical men, and um, and and we see the byproduct of that. Mm-hmm. So, but what happened is these women, while we agree on these social problems, we disagree on the hows and whys. So. Susan B. Anthony is saying, okay, there's this issue. So we are not happy with the way that our husbands are voting. Um, so we want a right to vote and we're not happy with the way our husbands are acting. So we want to be able to change the way that they're acting. Uh, that's part of the curse that Eve received mm-hmm. is your, your desire is going to be to rule over your husband, but you're called to submit. And um, so just because you eliminate the responsibility of a God-given authority, it does not mean that the needs that that authority was in place to meet go away. So just because Susan B. Anthony is desiring to eliminate this responsibility of the men, these men are getting drunk, these men are being abusive, these men are doing these different things, let's eliminate that by us being able to vote and then change their actions it does not um, negate the uh, the idea that um, that this authority was in place to meet a specific need, you know. So husbands and fathers in Scripture are called to love, provide, care for, clothe, lead, and pastor their families. That's a biblical mandate, and 
so that's twofold. That's a call for the husband that they're called to do these things, but that also tells us that the families need these things. Mm-hmm. Wives need to be loved by their husbands. Wives need to be provided for. The family needs to be provided for. Um, the family needs to be cared for. The kids and everybody in it need clothing. They need food. They need a, a shelter. They need these things. Um, the the wife and the kids need leadership and they need a pastor of the home. And um, so if a woman throws off these duties of the husband, somebody must fill the void. Mm-hmm. So if a woman decides, I do not want the husband to meet these needs, those are still needs that God created us to have. And, um, and so what first wave feminism demanded was two things. Uh, they demanded that those voids be met and they did it two ways. The first way is the government will fill in where they felt men had failed. So my husband is failing me and, uh, my husband is drinking too much and being abusive. My husband is, um, being able to run around and be promiscuous and not have to worry about, um, raising up the children from that or, uh, different, different areas. And, and so what they said is, uh, okay, we're going to get the government to fill in where we felt that men have failed us. And the way they do that is by them being able to have a voice in voting. We're not happy with the way that our husbands are voting. And so we want to step in. Um, then they're also not happy with how their husbands are acting. And so basically Susan B. Anthony's idea, which was not just hers, but also Elizabeth Stanton, um, is they said, let's vote and force the government to force our husbands to be what we want them to be. That's the idea of first wave feminism. Um, yes, there's a problem. We all can agree that there's a problem, but now let's get a voice to where we can vote and we can force the government to be, uh, to make our husbands be what we want them to be. Um, and, and in doing that, it creates this bigger government now. So part of feminism and the fight for feminism was also a fight for a bigger government that they could control to force their husbands to do what they wanted their husbands to do. Mm. And, um, and, and so what are your thoughts on that so far? Yeah, I mean, it, I think one of the biggest errors that's made here is the idea that um, anything other than the heart of the husband is responsible for the actions of the husband, right? So, um, and we see this with gun control today, right? So you've got someone goes and, you know, murders a bunch of people or has a mass shooting. Yeah. And uh, we like to pretend that the fault is on the gun itself, yeah. you know? Well, no, I mean, the, the someone took a gun and took all these actions, premeditated this murder and committed the heinous act because of the state that their heart is in. The same way we see with husbands back in that day who, well, and today, and I mean, husbands who are, are poor. Right. Well, the reason why they're poor husbands who maybe go and get drunk, come home and beat their wife, beat their kids is because they have a wicked heart, you know? And, and what's not going to alleviate that problem is, you know, dismantling a God ordained system of leadership that he has clearly defined in scripture. Um, Now, like we said before, I mean, Susie, Susan B. Anthony, and, and you talked about it at the beginning, excuse me, Anthony being an agnostic, someone who's not necessarily um, heeding to God's word or, or um, is not, certainly doesn't have the word of God living in her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she doesn't have any sort of basis for coming up with solutions for this problem because it's not a problem. It is inherently a heart problem. It's not a problem with the system. You know what I mean? So, well, and um, like, so this kind of ties into, so you have, um, when, when Susan B. Anthony is older, um, you've got Margaret Sanger who follows 
behind Susan B. Anthony. Mm-hmm. And Sanger's the one that um, started Planned Parenthood. And so uh, Sanger is listening to and following behind Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Stanton. And, um, and so she has this idea too for birth control and which leads into abortion and all of that. And, and so part of that understanding that they all had was having kids is this oppressive thing. Uh, we are wives in this relationship and we're having these kids that we're then stuck with and have to raise and all of that. Um, even I talked about Elizabeth Stanton, she had seven kids and she viewed that very much as this oppression that was Mm -hmm. happening to her. And so she did not spend time pouring into her kids, pouring into her household. Uh, her kids were, were known, especially the older ones were known to be really bad. They would, you know, throw rocks at the neighbor's houses. They would cuss out the neighbors. They would do all these things. They were these terrors. And she sent them all off to boarding school so that she didn't have to deal with them uh, because it was this oppressive thing around her neck. And, um, and and so then you have Sanger who comes along and says, you know what? Um, men are able to do these different things without having the consequence of raising up children and instead of saying, we need to fix that and make sure, um, so like scripture gives the man, they are tied to that family. Right. There's a covenant between the man and the woman before the Lord. And um, so instead of going back to the biblical role of what it means to be a husband and a father, they said, you know what? We want to be able to do the same thing. Like this is not good for us. We want to be able to do it too. And that's just this inconsistency in thinking, you know, mm-hmm. I hate what the man is doing. It's causing me harm. It's causing this family harm. So instead of fixing the problem, we want to be able to partake Let's as join well. them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and so that's what this fight is for. That's where birth control came from. Um, now I can have the same freedom that my husband has uh, and, and, and not be tied to a child afterwards. That was Margaret Sanger's whole thing. Mm-hmm. That and she was extremely racist. <laughs> well, yeah. But um, but then, so as you go, the first wave was a pretty long time period, but between the first wave and the second wave, um, a lot of critical theory and Marx's thought um, is is coming in the door that feminism was pushing open. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the idea was we have these oppressed people and the government needs to right that oppression. <clears throat> so you've got, uh, these people that have been oppressed and justice is going to be found with a bigger government forcing people to do what these minority people want to see done. And so we need to take away power. Um, it's this idea that, if this person has some sort of rights or power for me to also have rights and power, I need to strip away theirs and give it to the oppressed, Mm -hmm. you know? And so when you get into critical race theory or you get into critical queer theory or all of these other critical theories um, that come out of the Frankfurt school, it's the same ideas that Margaret Sanger had and that Elizabeth Stanton and all of the first wave feminists kind of cleared the way for. Mm. So just like when you drop a rock into the pond, that ripple starts off small, but it's that same ripple that grows bigger and bigger and bigger. So the first wave of feminism has done the same thing. Um, They started off with an unbiblical assessment of how to fix a problem. And as they got louder and pushed and made the government bigger and bigger, where we're at today is a byproduct of that push in first wave feminism. And so um, the the new wave of feminism, um, so they've said that um, the government fills in where they felt men had failed them. The other thing that they've said, and this is a consistent thought process from that first wave is that other women fill in where they felt that men had failed them. So there's a connection to the sexual revolution and the LGBTQ plus movement. 
Um, men have failed us in these areas. And so the government needs to get bigger to force the men to submit. And we need to be able to vote to make that happen. And once we do, we can control this bigger government to domineer over the men. And then the second thing is men have failed us in these other areas of loving and uh, providing and caring for and all of that. And so other women now fill in where they feel that men have failed them. And so that's this connection to the sexual revolution. We need to overthrow the husband and the wife and this whole binary understanding of what it is to be male. And now we have the patriarchy that's a suppressive regime that we need to topple and all of that. And so uh, the, the feminist movement started as saying women are equal to men, but ultimately that's not what they argued for and that's not where it's gone. Now it's women are over men and men need to submit to women. Mm-hmm. And, and so none of that's healthy, none of it's biblical. Right. And so what do we do? How do we confront the feminist movement? Uh, not just in our culture, but in our churches, because mm-hmm. um, all of this background is to say that there are a lot of women that have, well, I would say all of us, men and women, have been influenced by feminism more than we think that we have. And, and so what's the biblical right response to all of this? Yeah. Um, well, I think just to further illustrate your point of how it's influenced the church, I mean, you think about how uncomfortable sometimes it gets to say, read, what is it, Ephesians chapter five? Yeah. You know, like right. to read some of these passages that are so explicit and clear about the roles of men and women. And I think that, you know, one of the, I guess, flaws in our thinking of even passages like Ephesians chapter five is the call is not, first of all, the call is not to, for women to be inherently worth less than men. The call is submission. So in the same way that Christ, and this is a part of the documentary that I really liked, where she talked about this, but the same way that Christ submitted to God the Father. Now, if that means that Christ is less than God the Father, all of a sudden you've got you know a Trinitarian heresy on your hands because you're saying that the Father and the Son are not equal. Right. You know? Um. But that's not that's not it. Christ submits to the Father, submits to the Father's will in the Garden of Gethsemane you know, says your will, not mine. Right. Yeah. And so in doing that, Christ is not less than the father. It's just the way that the Lord said it. It's the way that God set the whole thing up. Right. It's the nature of their relationships. Um, Well, and it goes back to what were we created for? Right. You know what I mean? So it's not just women that are called to be submissive. Men are also called to be submissive. Right. Men are submissive to Christ. The women are submissive to the husband. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in that, it's it's not dealing with worth, but it's dealing with what we were created to do. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so men are called to be these spiritual leaders. Men are called to be uh, leaders in the home, leaders in all of these aspects of life because that's what God created them for. Their purpose is to subdue the earth, to fill the earth and subdue it, right? The the men are calling people to Christ. The men are um, pro- protecting and providing and presiding over their families and their where they're living, the, the community around them, that kind of thing. And then the Eve, God looked at man and said, it's not good for you to be alone. And doing this mission that I've given you, I'm going to give you a helper. Mm-hmm. And in that, this person that I'm giving you completes you. Like you are complete together. You're not made to be separate from each other. Right. And so um, when we look at a husband and a wife, both apart from the other are incomplete. And that's by design. Mm -hmm. God has created men to have a mission, to have a role. And he's created women to be able to be the the fulfillment and the completer and the helper of that. Right. And so the man and the woman aren't in competition together, but they are 
ballroom dancers who are trying to work together to complete this ballroom dance and and make it look beautiful and all of that. Right. And the way that that happens is you've got a lead in in dancing. You know, say you're a big Dancing with the Stars person. <laughs> you watch them. They can't both dance lead. Somebody's got to dance lead. Right. Um, but the purpose of the lead dancer is to showcase the woman. Mm-hmm. And the woman makes it look beautiful and elegant and graceful and easy. And so um, if you look at the family biblically, you've got the husband and the wife that are back to back. And they are accomplishing this role of uh, dominion, you know. And, and the way that they're doing that is the man is looking outward and the wife is looking inward. The wife is called to be the one that is in charge of the home and the, the family and the raising of the children, which is the most important thing. Deuteronomy, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you shall teach these to your kids when you're walking down the road when you're, you know, and mm-hmm. everything that you do, you are pouring this truth into your children so that they can pour this truth into their children. The way that we are generational, even culturally, the way that the church impacts culture is is not done by the men alone. It's done by the women. And a point that I really liked that they talked about in that documentary, maybe it wasn't in the documentary, maybe it was an interview that I saw, but they were talking about the way that Uh, culture is transformed by the gospel. And if you look at cultures, the thing that sticks out about most cultures is that, so like if you think about French culture, what are things that stick out to you? Um, Food and- Food and, mm, you know, architecture and art and stuff like that. And like if you, uh, back in the day before, really before feminism, if you wanted to experience Italian culture, it was done in the homes. The mamas mm-hmm. were the push of Italian culture. They were the ones making this great food and you would go to somebody's house and you would sit around and fellowship together and they were making the pasta and they were making all the ingredients and, and a big part of that Italian culture was passed on through the mothers, through dinners around the dinner table through them outreaching in their community and partnering together and having this network of people that they're pouring into and loving and connecting with. And they're training up their children to, to know the, the, you know, um, and pass on this idea of culture, uh, for, for any generation, that's how it was spread. Mm -hmm. And the Christian culture is no different. It should be spread by women in the homes that are gathering together and facilitating, us being this people that gather together and um, just being people of, of charity and people of uh, what's the biblical word where you get together and you like to have people fellowship. Over, fel- oh, no, it's uh, a gift of uh, hospitality. Hospitality. Yeah. You know, hospitality has been lost on our culture today. Right. Uh, nowadays, we've all of these cultural things we've given out to whether it's restaurants. Are, are preserving culture or museums are preserving culture. Uh, back in, in the day, you had women that were, um, they, they, they would have a garden so that their family could eat. And then they're also training their children and they're educating their children and they're pouring into their children and they're running the garden and they're milking cattle and they're doing all these things. Like women were created to work as well. Uh, and that was a, kind of the the problem in the the 50s and 60s is you had a lot of women that were sitting around and letting technology do all the stuff that they had been doing their whole right. lives. You've got dishwashers and you've got washing machines and you've got vacuums and you've got microwaves and you've got all these things. You've got refrigerators. So now we don't need to do all these things in the home. So now we want to be like men and go out into the workplace. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that women are called to be dominions of the household. That's where they're called to invest their time is in the future generations of families and in the passing along that cultural heritage to other generations in being, um, tell me the word again, hospitable, hospitable, and, and having this 
idea of hospitality where it's, um, you know, we're having people over all the time and we're engaging because that's where people grow is around dinner tables and around fellowshipping together. It's not just in a building that we go on Sundays and we say, okay, we've done church together. Uh, the church is the body of Christ meeting in each other's homes and growing together and having discussions together and thinking through things together and encouraging one another. Discipleship takes place around dinner tables. You know what I mean? And so really the women being biblical women is what will be the explosion of the church and culture. Mm -hmm. Um, we've not had that and, and you can tell, but if women start to do that, it will explode church culture because culture was made to be passed on that way. Mm -hmm. Thoughts. Yeah. Um, That was very well said. And I remember um, in college, you would go and you would talk about what you wanted to do. Um, And well, I'll just, I guess, I don't know. I guess she'd be, I don't think she'd be uncomfortable with me sharing this, but my wife, uh, we used to talk about what we wanted to do, you know, when we were dating and then everybody does when they're dating, they talk about what they want to do and stuff like that with their degree or whatever. And, um, one of the biggest things that my wife, Emma always wanted to do was be a mom, like be a mom. Mm -hmm. That's it. Like there wasn't be a lawyer. It wasn't be you know, a school superintendent. It wasn't really even be a teacher, which she, I guess, well, she's a speech pathologist now, but um, it was to be a mom, you know, and and all of those other things that like the whole reason why she was in college, (laughs) you know, the whole reason why she was working for that, working to, you know, and, and like we were saying with like women in the workforce, doesn't mean that women can't go and make a paycheck, but ultimately, like my wife, the whole reason why she even wanted to go and be in the workforce was to help s- nurture a household. You know what I mean? Right. And I, and to a lot of people, you hear that, and it's like that's frowned upon almost even in the church sometimes because in the church you know i feel like we've got this idea that everyone needs to be out in the mission field or something out in some other country or you know everyone needs to be uh, some aspiration for people in the church is to be you know a worship leader or to be a sunday school teacher or to be this that and the other and if like that's not your big aspiration what are you doing you know what i mean right well and Um, that's that's kind of why we've titled this feminism in the church today is because that is a mark of feminism. Mm -hmm. Um, The feminist movement has made us think that way, that if, if we desire as women to be a mother, then we are not reaching our full potential. Mm -hmm. But the argument that I'm trying to make is that desire is you reaching your full potential. Right. That's what God has created you for. And uh, in Titus, um, Titus, Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, it says this, um, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Like what I was saying is more importantly than women being on the forefront of missions or on the forefront of all these outward things, Mm -hmm. the way that God is most going to penetrate this culture with the gospel, the tip of the spear is women being what God's called them to be. And that's this, the older women are teaching the younger women to uh, love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be busy at home to be kind, to be subjects to their husband, for what purpose? Why are they called to this? So that no one will malign the word of God. When women are being the dominant um, forces in the home, when their, their dominion is their home and they're being what God's called them to be, scripture is not maligned. 
the word of God prospers. We see young men and young women being raised up in the admonition of the Lord. And the best way that we combat the culture around us is by women being godly women. You know, there Mm -hmm. is a call to femininity and women have a role and women have not been meeting that role. Mm -hmm. Um, Likewise, men have not been being masculine. They've not been biblically masculine. Women have not been biblically feminine. The, the feminist movement has got us to where we are today. And the way that we combat the feminist movement is women being biblical women and mm-hmm. men being biblical men and us understanding our roles and meeting them to the full potential in which we were called to meet them. Right. When we do that, this culture will be flipped on its head with the truth of the gospel. Yeah. And so it fires me up. Um, <laughs> me and you were talking and you even said after like going through and studying about this episode, like it, you, you what'd you makes say? Makes you want to be a biblical yeah, woman. <laughs> it fires you up to be a biblical woman yeah. because it's such an important role. Right. It's just as important in what the men are doing. Right. We're, we're both. So when I was in the military, um, one of the basic drills that we did is how to uh, conduct an, an ambush or assault on an enemy. And the way that you do it is you hit them from two sides. You have your main force that's making contact in the front, and then you have a flanking force come around and make contact from the side. That's what husbands and wives are doing to the enemy. That's what we're called to do. Mm -hmm. But instead of that, what we've been doing is we've both been fighting over who's going to be that front assault element and not the just as important side element that comes and actually is the one that overtakes, you know? And and so... um, Women have been doing masculine, biblically masculine roles and fighting for that masculine equality. And men have been becoming subservient to women right. and doing biblical feminine roles. And the church is just The confused. church is teaching that. Right, right. it is. The church is, is. And so yeah. our call to all of you is that men will be biblically masculine, women will be biblically feminine. And in doing that, it's going to be a death punch to the the culture of the day Mm -hmm. because that's how God pushes the biblical culture. 